Welcome to the Factory Youth Podcast. This is a weekly teaching podcast from the Factory Youth at Calvary Chapel, Vera Beach. All right, so we're in a series called Church on Fire, and we're making our way through the book of Acts. Um, so if you have your Bible, Acts chapter 5, well, actually, the end of 4 is where we're going to be, end of 5. Um, you can follow along in the Bible app as well under events. And we're learning how to be a church that makes an impact and that lasts a long time. We don't want to be a church that's just here for a little while and then kind of fades out of relevancy or consistency, but a church that makes a difference for a long time. And we're, we're learning to do this um, from the book of Acts because this is where the, the whole thing got going. This is where the church began. And we can say that they have made an impact because here we are thousands of years later talking about the work and the um, effectiveness of the early church. And so we're trying to learn some of the principles that um, they, they have presented for us and the model that God has set up for us as how to do church. And this is part four. Um, we've learned chapter one about purpose and protocol, what the church's purpose is supposed to be. Um, we talked chapter two about power and presence, that the Holy Spirit has come upon people and we will receive power when he shows up. Uh, last week with Pastor Jackson, we talked about perspective, um, about where to fix our eyes so that God can fix our heart. And then uh, tonight we're going to talk about purity and purification. Purity and purification as God is um, establishing the church. And I've titled this message, if you want to write this down, fake it and you won't make it. Fake it and you won't make it. Acts chapter 4 is where we're going to begin, beginning in verse 32. Are you guys there? Acts 4, 32. It says this. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as uh, were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need." Thus Joseph, who was also called uh, by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levi, a native of, native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet, period. Okay, pause for just a moment. So uh, the church is growing. God's doing this amazing work. We saw it began with the 11 apostles praying and then picking a 12th apostle. And we're told that in that moment, there was about 120 people. So there's about 120 followers of Jesus meeting in an upper room. They were praying together. They were waiting on God as Jesus told them to do. Wait in Jerusalem for the power and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So they're doing that. Then the outpouring happens. Acts chapter 2. They're all filled with the Spirit. They start speaking in different languages. They're, they're, they're praising God. God in these other languages, and people are like, what's going on? So then Peter stands up and preaches the gospel, and we're told that 2,000 people are added to the church. So we've got this 120, it's about this size, in an upper room, and then Peter preaches, and then 2,000 people get saved. And then the story goes on, and, and by the end of chapter 3, that we're told that there's about 5,000 now that are in attendance, and we're told that daily God is adding to the church. So the church is growing. It's amazing, this thing that's happening in Jerusalem. And then, interesting, now this is just sort of unique to what's happening in Jerusalem. This is not a standard that God sets up for his church. This is something unique that God was doing here at this church. But we're told that people began to just sort of give all of their money and their stuff to the church. 
And people just sort of lived um, within their means and distributed to one another as people had need. And so they were coming to church and they're like, man, I, I don't have much money. And they're like, man, well, this person just sold this, this property and gave it to the church. So here's money to help you and here's food for you. And they were all just living kind of in this like commune, community type church situation. It's really unique and God's doing this amazing thing. And there doesn't seem to be any pride, any striving, any just like, hey, man, we all are brought in through the blood of Jesus. We all belong here for the same reason. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's all about Jesus. And so this amazing thing is happening. And we're told this guy Barnabas, who actually becomes a key player in the book of Acts later as we go with the Apostle Paul, um, he sells a property. He gives all the money to the church. Amazing. Like God's doing this really cool work that's unique to Jerusalem. But then chapter 5 happens. And there's a, there's a really harsh transition. Let's look at it, chapter 5. It says this, But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. And when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. In translation, he died. Right? So he fell down. When you breathe your last, that means dead. Okay? So Ananias, so he, he died. So Peter's talking to him. He brings in part of this gift. Peter's like, dude, you're not lying to me. You're lying to God. And after he said this, dead. Whoa. All right. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. You think? Like we heard Ananias went to church and he died. All right. Then young men rose, wrapped him up, and carried him out and buried him. And after an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. And immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last, which means what? She died. And when the young men came and found her dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. All right, good night, you guys. <laughs> all right, so we have, we have a harsh transition from four to five, right? Four is like everyone's in a commune and everyone's selling their stuff and everything's happy and good. And then Ananias and Sapphira show up to church and are smited dead. You're like, whoa. Like, okay, and now, um, this, this, the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, or, or the Acts of Jesus Christ through the working of the Apostles, this is history. This is reality. This is, not, this is not just illustrating an idea. This is reality. And so God, we need to understand a few things as we unpack. And my goal for us is to unpack why this is happening, why this happened, and then what it means for us today. So God's doing a work. He's building his church just like he said. People are getting saved. They're building this beautiful community. And the primary work that God is doing in his people is sanctification. 
Okay, that's a big word. We talk about it pretty often because this is most of our Christian life. Most of our Christian life fits into the bubble of sanctification. There's salvation, that's a moment, right? That's when we believe on Jesus. There's glorification, that's where we're all headed when we're, when we're face-to-face with Jesus and we're in our resurrected bodies. But until then, life on earth, we call it sanctification. This is the process in which Christ is being formed in you. Does that make sense? Christ, as you follow Jesus, as you're a Christian, which literally means like little Christ, as Christ is being formed in you, it's this process of sanctification where God is making you more and more like Jesus each and every day. So this is the work that, that Jesus is doing. And this is the process that Christ, of Christ being formed in individuals. Now, this is a sobering story, Right? If you're reading Acts on your own and you're like, yeah, this is so good. And then by yourself, like you read Acts 5 and you're like, time out. Right? Like, I don't know. Like if, if you've never heard Acts 5 before, you're like, hold on. What? I thought we just sang about the reckless love of God. We, we, like Jesus loves us so much. We're invited into relationship with him. And then we read of these two people who come to church and, and die. It's a sobering story. Here's the point. The point is that God wants honesty and God wants holiness. He doesn't want hypocrisy and pretend purity. I'm going to say that again. God wants honesty and God wants holiness. He doesn't want hypocrisy and pretend purity. You could write this down. God wants us to be holy. God wants us to be holy. Um, 1 Peter 1.15 says this. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Okay, God's speaking. He says, you shall be holy, for I am holy. I use this illustration every time I bring up this verse because I think it's a perfect illustration. But just telling me to be holy does not make me holy. Right? God, who is holy, who's infinitely holy, he's, he's, he's pure, purity in every sense of the word. He's pure. There's, there's no evil. There's no unjustness. There's only fairness and purity and holiness in God. God, who is holy, telling me to be holy it's like, well, you're holy, I'm not. It's like somebody who's buff and strong coming up to you saying, be strong, for I am strong. And you're like, well, you're strong, I'm not. Just because you're strong doesn't make me strong. And so God, he says, be holy, for I am holy. And you're like, well, that's great, but you're God and I'm not. You're holy, I'm not. So how, how do I just be holy, for God is holy? Peter says, well, be holy in all your conduct, be holy. Holiness is something that God is actually doing in us. He's making us holy. And holiness is not optional. When we're saved, Christ makes his home in us and we are filled with the Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us. And when the Holy Spirit lives in us, we have no choice but to become holy. The Bible tells us that when you place faith in Jesus and you are filled with his Holy Spirit, you become the temple of God. That God dwells in you. Where before God would dwell in a physical temple. 
In fact, where the church is meeting here in Acts 5 is right outside that temple. It's called Solomon's Porch, and there, that's where church was happening. But inside that temple was where the presence of God used to dwell. It was in the Holy of Holies, and only certain times of year was the high priest allowed to access the Holy of Holies. And it was a big deal. And like if you went into the Holy of Holies and you weren't supposed to be there, you kind of had an Ananias and Sapphira type situation where you would die. Because it was, the whole, it was God's holy presence. You weren't supposed to go in there. And now Acts chapter 2 happens and you become the temple of God. You become the dwelling place for the presence of God. You become the place where God inhabits. No longer is it a temple. No longer was a location. It's a person. You, God, God fills you with his holy presence, his empowering presence. And when this happens, holiness is beginning to take place in our lives. And holiness is not optional. It's something that God's doing. But holiness is God's standard, not our own. Holiness is not optional. He's going to do it. But holiness is God's standard. When we give our lives to Jesus, we're making him king of our heart and of our life. We now follow him, his standards, his ethics, his goals, and his way of living. We live in a culture that is all about following self, following our own truth, listening to our hearts. Right? How often do we hear that? Just listen to whatever you feel like, do that. Whatever the roadmap of your heart and feeling tells you, go in that direction. Speak, your, live your truth. doesn't matter if it's true for anybody else. If it's true to you, live it. This is sort of the, 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 the things that we hear in our culture today. And, and some of it, we, it's just like we don't even think anything of it because it's so ingrained in us now. I'm just like, yeah, live your truth. Be you. Do your thing. It doesn't matter. It's you. The reality of following Jesus the reality of faith in Jesus Christ is that, that it's not about living our truth. It's not about living our way. It's not about living, following our own heart. This is not the way of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is about denying self, picking up our cross, and following God's way. Like that is the kingdom of God. So when we're like, oh, I'm going to follow Jesus and then just do whatever I feel like, that's not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is God's in charge. It's his kingdom. And even if I have to go against how I feel or what I want or what I think is right in order to follow God, I recognize that because God said it, it's right. And just because I felt it doesn't make it right. Okay, I'm doing a little bit of cultural commentating right now. Meaning I'm commentating on our present day culture. And our culture says that you need to just, if, if, if you feel it, it's right. Let me tell you that the Bible speaks something totally different. The Bible tells us the heart is deceitful and it's wicked and it's confusing and it's a liar. The, the Bible tells us that if we follow our own way, it leads to destruction. And so we have to recognize that holiness being built in us, what God is doing, it's not optional and it's God's standard, not our own. And we, when we follow Jesus, are submitting ourselves to the standard of God. Okay, so God is making us holy. God wants us to be holy, and he's making us holy. 
And when you say yes to Jesus and he comes and makes his home in your heart, you are also saying yes to God making you holy. How does he do that? Well, you can write this down. God makes us holy by exposing sin in us. God makes us holy by exposing sin in us. When we place faith in Jesus, we're forgiven from all our sins. Okay, I'm going to say that again. When you place faith in Jesus, you are forgiven for all your sins. In fact, the Bible goes as far as saying that, that your sin is, is, is far from you and as far from God as east is from west. You, let me tell you, if you go east, you will never go west. At, at no point if you're going east will you ever connect with west. Now, if you go north, there a day will come where you start going south. Right? You get to the North Pole, and that's about as far as you can go. And as if you keep walking, you start going south. When it's east, you can go east around the globe forever, and you'll stay going east. The point is your sin is so far removed from God, you'll never find it again. God forgives us of all of our sin, past, present, and future sin. But this doesn't mean we won't still sin. Like our sins are forgiven, but we still sin. But it does mean that God is working in our lives to remove sin in our lives. Now, sin, biblical, biblically speaking, is to miss the mark. That's what the word sin means. It, it, basically, it is to live below God's standard. Here's God's standard. To sin is to miss the mark. It is to live below it. And there are four primary types of sin. I'm going to talk about it just really quickly. We'll move on. Um, there's the sin of attitude. This would be pride or envy or bitterness. Um, there's the sin of action, doing what you shouldn't do. This is lying or immorality, things like that. There's sin of neglect. This is sin of not doing what you should do. Like there, there's this, uh, this, the sin of action is, would be called the sin of commission. And then the sin of neglect is the sin of omission. It's like these are things that you shouldn't do and you do it. And this is sin that you should do or things that you should do and you don't do. So there's sin of neglect. And then there's sin of intent. This is lust or anger in your heart, things like that. So four primary types of sin. Attitude, action, neglect, or intent. As we walk with Jesus, he is making us holy and purifying us. And that happens, that purification happens when sin is exposed and then dealt with, right? This purifying process happens when sin is exposed. Hello, sin is here. You're like, whoa, there it is. And then it's dealt with. Like, hey, this is bad. And you're like, ah, it's in my life. And we deal with it. It's exposed and it's dealt with. And God will expose sin in our life through people, through his word, and through situations. We need to have people in our lives that will tell us when our behavior isn't Christ-like. You need to have people in your life. Hey, what you post on Instagram, that's not Christ-like. We need people like that. Hey, the music that you're listening to, let me tell you, that's not Christ-like. Hey, the people that you're hanging out with, you're starting to look like them, it's not Christ-like. You, we need to surround ourselves with people that will speak those types of things into our lives. Because that's how sin is exposed and then dealt with. So God uses people. 
God uses his word. We need to be in his word and allow his word to point out sin in our lives. Right? You're reading through God's word. Maybe you're going through something like Galatians or Corinthians where it will oftentimes list out certain practices or behaviors. And you'll go, wait a second. I, I didn't realize that was in the Bible. Or do you know what? I've been doing that an awful lot. And God's word exposes so we can deal with it. God's word. We also... God will use situations. Oftentimes, situations will happen in our lives, usually bad situations, and, and it'll cause a couple of things. One, you'll think, did my sin lead me here? Did, did bad behavior or bad relationships or bad decisions lead me to this situation? And then you trace it back and you're like, do you know what? It did. It was this problem right here, and if I keep doing that, this is where I'm going to end up. Or what happens, this, this happens all the time. You're in a situation, a bad situation, and you start behaving a certain way that exposes sin. Like, that behavior is not okay. But the, the, like, it's, like, it's almost like when your back's up against the wall and you react, and whatever comes out naturally, like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. And situations will expose sin in our life. Why? So we can deal with it. So we don't get bound to it. So we don't look at our lives 5, 10, 15, 20 years down the road and say, I'm still stuck in this because God tried to expose it here and I ignored him and I avoided him. And now I'm 15, 20 years in the hole of following this feeling or this action or this behavior and I'm not being made more like Christ. I'm actually in bondage to this situation. And so God exposes stuff so that we can grow through it. Okay, so, so this is what God does. He's, he's making us holy. He makes us holy through exposing sin in our life. So, so what's the main idea? What, what's going on here? This is what we under, what need to understand. It's my one primary point tonight, and we'll be done. Impurity impacts progress. Like my word choices? I don't know. I was telling Hannah last night that my brain just, like, thinks like this for some reason. Like, I'm like, I need imp, imp words. Why? I don't know. It's just the way my brain thinks. Impurity impacts progress. Okay, now going back to our story, let's, let's try to reconcile this idea. God is doing a brand new work. We're told that daily people are being added to the church, Acts 2.47. We're told that the number of people is up to around 5,000, Acts 4.4. And there was this beautiful thing happening where people were establishing a community it wasn't just about church on Sunday. The church became their life. All of these people were figuring out ways to do life together as followers of Jesus. That's what's happening. Church was not just about Thursday night. It wasn't just about Sunday morning. They were figuring out a way to make Jesus and his people the centerpiece of their life. We, in our day and age, we're fast-paced. We're busy. Like, church is like, it's a Thursday thing. Like it's a, you know, it's a, they were figuring out, how can we, how can we make church every day? There's a few students that have, are still hara harassing me that they want keys to this place. They're like, I want to live there. You need to give me a key. And I'm like, I'll give you a key one day, maybe. We'll see. I know. I know. One day. But, but they're still waiting. But the idea is like, I, I, center, I want to be here. I want this to be my life. And that's what's happening here. There's, there's this reality and in this community, everyone was equal, and they all had things in common. Whoa. You're good. The, so so the, in the community, everybody was equal. 
Because listen to me, the gospel levels the playing field. Everyone comes to Jesus the same way. Everyone comes to Jesus the same way. Nobody has relationship with God because they were better than somebody else. Everybody has relationship with God because they were broken and they were forgiven by the grace of God. And everyone comes to Jesus the same way through, through the work of the cross and faith in him. And in this moment, Acts chapter 5, okay, we're, now we're, we're getting back to here. In this moment, God is protecting his church against two super dangerous things that can creep into the church. Okay, Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira. That wasn't very powerful, but it's like, smited, right? Powerful stuff. Why? God is protecting his church from two dangerous things. One, hypocrisy, and two, favoritism. Hypocrisy and favoritism. Hypocrisy, because this, people, this couple was acting as if they had given it all to God when really they hadn't. Right? The sin was not that they sold property and only gave some to the church. It wasn't like Paul, Peter was like, oh, uh, hello, God wants you to give it all. Like you can't. No, no. The point was is that they said they were giving it all and they weren't. They said, like, hey, look at us rolling into church. We just sold this piece of property we had. You know, we just love church. We love this place. And, you know, so uh, we want to give it all to you guys. And somehow this word of knowledge was given to Peter, and Peter goes, that's not true. Because sometimes God does that. Sometimes God will give people, other people, a word of knowledge about you that nobody knows. Let me tell you, it's terrifying. God, God, will, God will speak, to, drop something in people's mind and be like, this person's doing this. And be like, they didn't know. No, God, because sometimes God will give a word of knowledge. So that's what happened. Peter's like, um, that's not true. And I could imagine the look on his face. Some people suggest, some commentaries I, commentaries I was reading suggest that what actually caused, what killed him was like shock, which led to cardiac arrest which killed him like where he was like <laughs> I don't know but just like oh how did you wait a second but the, the 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 sin here was not that they only gave part to God the problem was that they were lying and they said that they were giving it all it was it was hypocrisy it was saying I'm this way when I'm not that way their sin was that they lied to appear different than they were and it's also favoritism because they thought that what they did would make them more important in the church. Listen to me. So in, at the end of chapter 4, we read that about a guy named Barnabas. Barnabas had a field. His name's Son of Encouragement. He's the guy. He sold the field. He brought it to the apostles. He gave it to the... I, I, could, I kind of imagine maybe, maybe like at their Sunday gathering, they're like, hey guys, we just want to let you know Barnabas had this field and he sold it and he gave all of it to the church and everyone's like, Barnabas! Yeah! And maybe Ananias and Sapphira were like, look at Barnabas. Look at all that. Look at all that praise Barnabas is getting. I want that kind of praise. What do we do? Well, we could sell our field, but we could keep some of it, and we could give some to the church. We still get some. Church gets some, and we look like heroes for giving it all to the church. But we still got money in the bank, and and people like us at church. What's happening is there, there there's there's some level of 
maybe, maybe it was wrong for what they were doing with Barnabas. I don't know. Maybe how they were treating him was, wasn't okay, and it created this sense of like, man, maybe we'll be more important if we do this. Whatever the case, God doesn't work like that. God, there's, no, there's no favoritism. There's no one better than somebody else in the church. There's nobody like, oh, my gosh, this person is so much better. They're, they're, they're so much holier. They're so much, they get all special treatment because of whatever. There's none of that. The gospel levels the playing field. The gospel says that we all walk through the door because we're sinners and we all are forgiven through the grace of God. And the impurity that's happening in these people would hurt the progress of the church. So God dealt with it. Listen to me. Impurity in our lives can keep us from reaching where God is trying to take us. God knows that sin hurts us and others. And so whenever he corrects us, it's designed for us to grow. God is seeing what's happening in this church. People are getting saved, this radical thing, and two huge things that can mess up the progress. Hypocrisy and favoritism. And God's not about it. God is not about a church that makes other people feel more special than others because of what they give or how much they give or the talents that they have or the talent. God is not about favoritism and God is not about hypocrisy where people are like, oh, look at me. I'm super Christian. I've got everything together because on Sunday I'm all together, but at home or with my family or with my friends, I'm totally different. God's not about that. And to, to, to put that exclamation point, they say, I'm not about it. We have a pretty dramatic story in Acts chapter 5. But the reason is because God knows that impurity can, can stunt and impact the progress that God wants to make in us. Worship team, you guys can come up here. I'm going to close with this. God deals with this and sometimes a, with a really dramatic situation so that it will, he can avoid hurt that will ultimately happen. And God will do the same thing in our lives where he will, he will do something. He will, he will reveal something in our lives, some, maybe in a dramatic way, so that we will not be hurt by what's going on in our lives. This, this past weekend and I were gone. We were visiting uh, her family in California. And we've got, we're up to one, two, three, four, five, six. We're up to six nieces and nephews, and we'll be up to seven, eight, nine by the end of the year. So, like, people are just cranking them out. We got twins on the way. Like, this is crazy. Um, but the, my oldest niece, her name's Zippy, and uh, she's awesome. She's a little crazy, but she's awesome. Um, but uh, she does, uh, how I'm supposed to say this. Um, it's rare, let me say, for her to get, like, in trouble. Let's just put it like that. She's a spaz. She's so sweet, and she's awesome. It's rare for her to get in trouble. There's only been a couple times where I've seen her, like, get seriously in trouble in trouble. One of the times where, like, fear was in her eyes, and she's like, I really messed up, was one time she ran into the street. And her parents flipped their lid. Freaked out. Like, now, I've seen... This girl pretty much gets away with everything. She is, she is so cute, and she says the sweetest things, and she's funny, and she does, like, funny She cracks me up. She's super cute, and I could never, like, do whatever you want. I don't care. Um, but that crossed the line. Why? Well, because 
that is a place she could get really hurt. So her parents needed to understand, hey, you would rather get a spanking from me than get hit by a car. And so they are proving a point. They're saying, you running out into the street is no good. And so she got yelled at. She got spanked. I don't know if I can say that. Can you say spanked in 2021? Anyways, um, she got, they said, please don't do that again. Um, but it was, <laughs> you know, there's parents that don't use the word no or whatever. So please don't do that again. We don't do that around here, whatever they said. But the point was, hey, this is, this is dangerous. This is harmful for you. And you know what? God often does a lot of that kind of stuff in our life. He says, hey, this is reckless. This is harmful. This is dangerous. This is, this is going to hurt you or somebody else. And th- th- so God exposes stuff in our life so that we can grow and become more like him and we don't get trapped or hurt to a sin in our life. Purity. It matters. The process of God transforming us into Jesus' likeness is important. And so there's things that God, hey, this isn't good. Hey, this is good. Hey, stay away from this. Hey, don't even go near that. Because God wants ultimately to see us grow.